welcome back to the final episode of Life Through Books. Today, I'm here with the Reverend Mark Scarletta, author of Am I My Brother's Keeper? Christian Citizenship in a Globalized Society, as well as Sabbath Rest, The Beauty of God's Rhythm for a Digital World, and A Journey Through the World of Leviticus, Holiness, Sacrifice, and the Rock Badger, and the Abiding Presence, a Theological Commentary on Exodus. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. The first question that I would like to get into is, what is the first book that you remember from your childhood? Apart from very little children's books, <laughs> one that I remember the most was the Narnia series, and maybe also because we read them to our children. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I think being particular, the one that I remember sitting down and reading. The story just stuck with me. It was funny trying to think back to stories that I actually remembered. It was very difficult to think about which ones I could recall, but I think that was the one maybe that stuck out from my from my early childhood. There's a lot of books in that series, right? I think there's like seven or eight. Is there a particular one that you remember especially enjoying? Yeah, I think the one that stuck out for me was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I don't know why in particular. I love The Prince Caspian and some of the other ones <clears throat> I loved as well, but it was for some reason The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that really stuck. I read that C.S. Lewis took 10 years to finish writing the first book, and then that he actually didn't write the books in the order that they came out, and that even now their current order of presentation isn't the order that they were written in, which is interesting, but I suppose also makes quite a bit of sense because there's a lot going on in the book, so you could imagine that they were kind of written in this haphazard order. Yeah, but I didn't know that before, that it was 10 years for him yeah. to, to write the first one. Oh, that's really interesting, yeah. What I found especially interesting is that the inspiration for the books originally came from three schoolgirls who moved near his house in Oxford during World War II. They were evacuated because of the war, and then he ends up writing the books with them in mind, which is so sweet. But they don't come out for another 10 years. Yeah, that's a fascinating story, isn't it? What is the first book that you remember studying in school? I do remember a book called Where the Red Fern Grows. And, and I just remember that when one of the dogs died, I was actually like weeping. I think it was the first book that brought me to tears. Yeah, my parents read that to me when I was younger, or they at least tried to read it to me because I think it was right after Charlotte's Web and I was still getting over the devastation of losing her. And then I lost the dog in that book. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Tragic. I know. I think it literally was one of the first books that made me cry. It was such a powerful book and it was it's just so awesome. sad. <laughs> Later on, I ended up studying English literature at university, but I grew up in the States. So we studied a lot of American literature to start. I remember when we studied John Steinbeck, that was more, I think, in junior high school or in high school. We also studied some Ernest Hemingway, but those were some of the ones that really stuck with me. Do you remember what this specific John Steinbeck book was? The one that I remember the most specifically was East of Eden. But I think there was something about Steinbeck's writing that really stuck with me. I just love the flow of his writing. And then later when I got to Ernest Hemingway, it was a very different type of author, very different sentence construction. And he's very short and choppy and much less fluid than Steinbeck. But I loved Hemingway's stories. Um, I was always just captured by his imagination. And, and, and actually, I just went back and read it again this summer, but one that I read quite a few years ago was the sun also rises and we were 
traveling in France over the summer. And so I thought, oh, this would be a good, fun one to read through his life in Paris. And then he was down in Spain. And, and it was just very interesting. It was fun to read it again and to be in the country whilst yes. reading it. But I do remember thinking this glamorous European life was American stuck in Paris. And yeah, it's such a great book. And didn't Hemingway convert to Catholicism as he's writing that novel? You mentioned it. And then I was like, oh, did this foreshadow what you would go on to do? That's a great question. I can't remember the story about his conversion. I know that he had a particular leaning towards Catholicism, but I don't know the story about his conversion. I mean, it would have been interesting if that book was... <laughs> Part of the impetus, because it's a fairly hedonistic book. They're just drinking all the time and <laughs> enjoying life, not really living the religious life at that point. So you mentioned that you studied English in college. Do you have a favorite thing that you remember from that course? We did all the kind of typical Shakespeare. And I loved all of that. And I loved all the English poetry and things like that. In the States, when you study for four years, sometimes you can take your junior year abroad. And so I actually came over to England, where we are now, and studied for a year at the University of Durham. And while I was there, I studied some of the old Anglo-Saxon poetry, Beowulf and some of these other great poems, The Dream of the Rood and some others. And studying in Durham, which I highly recommend, and doing some of these old Anglo-Saxon poems was just about the greatest thing. I just absolutely loved it. I got so so into it. My professors who I was learning with would read the old English poems and things like that. I wanted to learn old English because it's some of the earliest literature in the English language. I found that absolutely fascinating. I didn't go on to study it much after that because we just didn't really have an opportunity. But when I was in Durham and studying, it was really fun. That's so interesting. Do you think your time at Durham always had you slightly inclined to coming back here? Oh, that's a good question. It probably did. It probably gave me a foretaste of what living in England could be. Although it was much darker in Durham. It was much more rainy than Cambridge, where we are now. But yes, I think it did. When I came and studied, I loved being over here. I met with some of my friends and we backpacked around Europe and did all sorts oh, wow. of things in, when you're in university that you get to do. And yes, I did really love it. I didn't think I would come back here to study theology and biblical studies, but there was certainly something about the North that I particularly fell in love with. And actually, I was just back up there this summer. We did a trip to, to Holy Island up to Lindisfarne, and that was stunning. But yeah, I think probably did, had an effect somewhere or another. If there is a book that you remember reading at a formative time in your life, I would love to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I remember being in high school and I was a part of a church group and I think I was deciding whether or not I really believed all this Christianity stuff anyway. And again, it was another C.S. Lewis book and this one was called Mere Christianity. And one of the things I've always appreciated about Lewis was just his ability to convey things in such simple ways, but just so clear, so truthful that you almost just felt like you couldn't argue against him. And I think when I was young, that was probably one of the most formative books in shaping my thoughts and beliefs. I think later on, it's hard to narrow it down in a scholarly world. Most of the books that I write now are books on studies in the Bible and studies in Christianity and faith. And I would say different authors have been formative. 
I think part of it goes back to a New Testament author and a friend who also lives in Cambridge called Richard Bauckham. He's done some amazing books on the New Testament. I've always loved his style. There's always, again, not overly flowery language or difficult to understand. Academics have a terrible <laughs> propensity to try to use the biggest vocabulary words that we can and make things very complicated and difficult yeah. for people. But what I love about Richard's work is that it's very straightforward, very to the point, very mm -hmm. clear. And similarly, there's another guy that I came across when I was studying. It was actually a rabbi and a professor in New York City called Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he, again, was one of these scholars that I encountered who had such a profound depth of thought, but yet was able to convey it with such sincerity, but also simplicity. And so I think in a book, whether it's a novel or whether it's a theological book or whatever it is, I just always appreciate people who have the ability to convey what they're trying to say in the clearest way possible. Moving on and very much down a different avenue, I would love to hear about your favorite books that you've read with your children. So one of them, we don't have to rediscuss it, but one of them being the, the Narnia series, Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, and the other ones that we read. And, and the other thing that we've done as a family is probably for the past 10 or so years is during the summer, we pack up the car and drive over to France. And it's a long drive. We're in the car for eight or 10 hours. So we've always done these audio CDs. <clears throat> and all the kids had read the Harry Potter series. But there's a particularly good recording with Stephen Fry. And so funny enough, just this past summer, I think we already listened to all of them. And I knew the kids had listened to them. But we decided to listen to them again. And they're just such fun stories. She's such a gifted writer. And Stephen Fry is great uh, doing all the readings. But yeah, we got through almost two books. And that's probably 30 hours or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Those have been really fun stories. I was going to ask you if you listen to audiobooks, but Harry Potter is a good start for any audiobook listening. It's funny. I, I go on and off with audiobooks. Sometimes there are certain books that are good for audiobooks. Like the other one that I listened partially to on this last trip was called 1923 by a cycling commentator, Ned Bolting. That was good fun to listen to. It was all about France and the Tour de France. So I think sometimes I, I do really enjoy audiobooks because I commute to London a, a couple of days a week. And so it's nice to listen to something. I almost created an audiobook from one of my books, but then I realized it was going to take so long and <laughs> it requires a lot of patience. Yeah, a huge commitment. You don't think about that when you're listening to an audiobook, but I imagine if you were to start the process, you would think, yeah, actually, this is quite a lot to do. What is the most recent book that you read or what are you currently reading? I've read a lot of books about the Bible, <laughs> so I'll put those aside for a moment. My reading seems to consist of either heavy theology or cycling books that are very light and fun. And so the one that I'm reading, Tim Moores is the author, and it's called Cyclist Who Went Out in the Cold. It's a journal kind of travelogue from a cycle ride he's doing on an old European bike that has these small little wheels. And he's going from the very tip, it's what they called the Iron Curtain, from the very tip of Finland all the way down through the former Soviet Union border. And he's hilarious. He's done a book on the Tour de France and the Tour of Italy and the Tour of Spain. And so this is another one of his. Do you have a book tradition as a family or did you have any growing up? There's definitely certain books that we would read at 
Christmas time, like for Christmas and things like that. So we have certain books around certain times of the year. There wasn't so much a book tradition. I think my wife, Bettina, has been much better at picking books and reading them with the kids as they've grown up. But I think as a family, we've been fairly good about reading and the kids have all really loved reading. And so that was really a blessing because we never had TV. We have a television, but you can only watch a video or something like that. We resisted ever getting broadcasting. And so I think our kids grew up knowing that if they were bored, they could go read a book. And I'm so glad. I think the the most important thing was just having our kids love picking up books and reading and just to watch them read over the years has been really fun. Yeah, we only got a TV maybe two years ago, but even now we don't have any sort of broadcasting on it. And I remember that when my brother and I were younger, we resented our parents for it. And only recently have I began to notice my habit of thinking, oh, I don't have anything to do. I'll find a book to read. And actually, for a lot of kids, that's not the norm. And so reflecting on that has made me really appreciative of it. And so, of course, the thing that I told my parents I will never do to my own kids, I'm beginning to think maybe actually is quite a good idea. (laughs) Actually, maybe that's the best thing I possibly can do for my children. Yeah, it formed a good habit. It's really important. You don't realize how important reading is until you have less time to do it because school gets more serious or life takes priority, etc. Well, and I think for your generation more so than certainly for mine, just that sense of always having a phone or a computer as a, a constant kind of distraction, whereas it really requires, and to a certain extent, I saw this in myself at times when I was on my phone or on the computer too much, the certain sense of the ability to concentrate on something for a significant period of time. So I think for the younger generations, it's even harder if you don't grow up with that experience of just sitting down for an hour with a book. If all you know is your phone, then it's almost like you haven't even developed the brain capacity to sit down and read something. I remember years ago, I, I wanted to go back and read The Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck. And it's a very thick novel. And I started getting into it. And I could find at some points, if I read for a longer period, my brain hurt. (laughs) It's like all of those synapses that allow you to focus and concentrate and really get into a story are so broken down by just flipping through your Instagram or doing whatever it is. I don't know if I could pick up War and Peace or and just read through Dostoevsky right now, because I honestly think I'd have to train my mind again. Absolutely. I think especially after the pandemic, when everything was online and we got so used to just consuming everything through a screen, reading a long book has become really challenging. So it's very important to try and keep that habit going mm, for sure. Definitely. Is there a piece of writing that you think everyone should read, maybe besides the Bible? Apart from the Bible, because I'm a biblical scholar. I don't know that I would recommend just a specific author or one specific person, but I would say something that every person should read under the sun would be a work or works of poetry. Because in our mechanized, technical, and computer age... I think we've lost the ability to understand simple things like metaphor and poetic language. I think we've lost the capacity of listening to the poet's voice. 
that catches glimpses of the world around us, even something beyond the world and beyond our humanity, and tries to bring that into a tangible reality in a poetic form. And I think our reductionistic world where we just want to break things down to their smallest components and fix things from there, I think we're losing and have lost the capacity to really understand the poetic side of who we are. Mm-hmm. Talk to my son about this because he's in the sciences and wants to be a, a, an engineer. But I keep telling him that the most creative people and the most imaginative people in history up until our current age have usually been scientists. And sadly, science has in some ways become a less imaginative domain. People think I can prove everything by here's my data and blah, blah, blah. And my recommendation for everybody would be reading poetry because we need to have both the logical side and the rational side of our brains. And we need to understand technology, but we lose part of who we are as human beings. If we lose this idea of poetry, of song, of story, of impact and similar patterns in humanity that are encapsulated in these stories, these typologies and archetypes. So I wouldn't necessarily just recommend one author, but I would definitely say that it is worth it for every person to pick up a volume of poetry, even if it's just once a year. I think that's a great answer. Do you have a favorite book that somebody has recommended to you? One that I recently read, which I highly recommend, was a book by a British author called Tom Holland called Dominion. And it was a really fascinating historical take on history in Europe from the Roman period and Roman Christianity and the development of Christianity in the West up until our contemporary day. He's a very good scholar, but he also does it in a very readable, accessible way. It's almost like reading a novel. And so someone said, oh, you have to read this book because it really is a, a fascinating history and tour of how Christianity has shaped our culture and even the cultural changes that have revolted against Christianity. Do you have a favorite series that you've read? We've talked about Narnia and Harry Potter, but maybe any others that come to mind? It's funny. Just personally, I haven't read a lot of book series. An interesting question because as a reader and a person who's read so many books, there's been very few book series. I know some people get into spy detective and things like that, but for some reason I just never have. Yeah, my godmother reads this spy series called Maisie Dobbs that I think has around 17 books in the series. And I just find that so daunting because the commitment of that really holds you down. Like if you get through the first 10, you have to keep going, but then you spend the rest of your life trying to read the others. And it's just, it's so daunting in my mind. For some reason, those types of books have never captivated me. I, I think when I read a novel or read a book, I just want the story to be complete. I want to finish the book. (laughs) But the one that comes to mind, J.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings series, I read those when I was young. I was fascinated by those. Yeah, I agree. How many pages do you generally give a book if you don't like it? In this part of the podcast, Mark is talking about the book 100 Years of Solitude by Gabrielle Garcia Marquez. Do you know, I learned my lesson years ago. Usually I'm two or three chapters, so maybe 30, 40 pages. But someone had recommended this book to me and they said, when you read it, just promise me that you'll read the first 200 pages. And I thought, if it's not good by 200 pages, why am I going to read the rest of it? Yeah, And it was funny because it was the only book I think I've ever read 
where I gave it that long and I said, yeah. okay, fine. I was like, I'll keep that's going. That's amazing. Keep going, I've never going. heard of that actually reason, happening. After about 200 pages, book that's the ever book happened. just turned the corner and became one of the greatest, most fascinating novels. I did like the Tolkien series, yeah. the Lord of the Rings series. I thought the director did a good job with it. Yeah. It's funny though, because I think generally I, I haven't liked movies mm. where I've read the book. For the most part, they just lose so much of the quality of the characters and it just gets brushed over really quick in cinematic style. So usually it's better if I don't read the book and see the yeah. film. I agree because I think there's something special about when you read the book and you have an image of the characters in your head and then that image can never actually fully become reality. And so you see it on the screen and you're like, that's not as good as it was in my head. Yeah. And that was what was so fun about re-listening to the Harry, po the Harry Potter series, because we'd watched the films last year or two years ago, and they skip over stuff really quickly. It was fascinating to listen to it on audio, yeah. and there was so much more depth in her writing. So that was actually fun to compare the two. Absolutely. What is a poem that you would want to be read at a special occasion in your life? If it was a poem, it'd probably be something from the book of Psalms in the Bible. The Psalms are a collection of poetry in the Bible. And I have too many Psalms that I love. There are just too many. But one of them that I really do love is Psalm 139. And that is just a Psalm about God creating us and knowing us intimately and forming us and shaping us, knowing our thoughts. And it's just a very intimate Psalm and a, and a very beautiful expression of the poet's intimacy with God. So yeah, it would be something from the Psalms. There's plenty of Psalms there to choose from. But I think if I were to choose a poem, it would be from one of those if it was at my funeral <laughs> if it was at my birthday maybe something else but i'm sure you could find a psalm for that as well exactly exactly well that's a great answer and a great thing to end on as well so thank you so much for coming on the podcast well, thank you for having me it's been great to chat with you mark's books can be found on amazon and more information about him can be found on the saint melitus college london website where he is a tutor and lecturer in old testament studies as well as being the vicar chaplain at saint edward king and martyr in cambridge mm -hmm.